Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 43 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where I say it every week, I think. We're just sick of men in general. <laughs> as much as we love them, they cause us nothing but strife. As always, I am Kristen Lopez, joined this week by Karen Peterson. It's only the ones that talk, Kristen. <laughs> Karen is very sleepy, so she's going to sound more elegant and eloquent, I think, in this episode. <laughs> uh, and Kimberly Pierce. Hello. Lauren um, is just so disgusted by them remaking Dune, directed by Denny Villeneuve, that she's gone out to stop the production. Um, and we've decided to talk about that more when uh, she's actually back, because she's the only one that's ever read the book. So Well, she's you... the only one that could ever finish the book, because... It's true. Oof. I was about to say, Karen tried. She, she gets the credit for at least making the attempt. Thank so, you. yes. If you were all excited to hear us talk about Danny Villeneuve uh, making a Dune movie, um, that will be next week. So hopefully we have enough cool stuff to keep you going. We have some some garbage people, some news, some trailers, questions, reviews. So let's let's dive right into it and wade through the mess. Um, I'm going to talk about the I say simpler in the context that we'll probably have uh, less to say than the other thing. So we're going to start with some news that came out relatively quickly um, last night involving Anthony Anderson. Um, Kim, why don't you take this? So Anthony Anderson, the star of Blackish over on ABC, it is according to, and the source I am working with is on Variety, and it had came out that he is currently under investigation. It sounds like this is very kind of early on um, for assault. It says, according to the blast, Anderson assaulted a woman last year after an event she catered for the actor. Um, so very little is kind of coming out of both sides. Only Anderson's people fervently denying it. Uh, the statement coming out of Anderson's rep is, it's unfortunate that any, anyone can file a police report whether it is true or false. The authorities have not contacted Anthony or any of his representatives about this matter. Anthony unequivocally disputes the claim. So we will see. Um, that's going down further in the article. It says the woman met with uh, the blast-sided source is familiar with the situation who said the woman met with Anderson a second time after the event to discuss future business opportunities, they're saying, and later filed a police report. Well, and this so, is not the first time that his name has popped up with allegations. Really? See, I did not pop, I did not know that one. Yeah, so supposedly back in 2004 when he was working on Hustle and Flow, um, him and one of the assistant directors were accused of raping an extra on the set, but they didn't, um, charges ended up being dropped by the judge because he ruled that there was no probable cause to try the case. Um, and, and Anthony Anderson's getting a Hollywood Walk of Fame star this year, so that should be an interesting, uh, ceremony. Uh, this is unfortunate. I told my mom this this morning and she was very, very upset because she's a big fan of Blackish. I think as a, as a lot of people are. 
Um, I am. I love that. Yeah, show. yeah. So, so, uh, Karen, why don't you share your thoughts? You know, it. I don't even know what I think about this because everybody has their person that when they hear, or several people, you know, that when they hear allegations against them, they're just like, no, he's supposed to be one of the good ones. And Anthony Anderson, I don't know if he necessarily is that for me, but it there, there's definitely a sense of like, oh my gosh, seriously, no, you're supposed to be above all this, you know? Um, he has made... Uh, I'm sorry, my brain is like so slow right now, but um, like he just, it's really unfortunate to hear this. I mean, maybe it's, there's still that element of maybe it's not true, but you know, you just even look at that statement and it's all the regular elements of, oh, it's not true. Oh, anybody can accuse anybody of anything. I mean, it's the classic denial stuff and it's like, that just doesn't. It just doesn't convince anybody anymore. And, you know, I I really hope that... I mean, I don't even know what I hope, honestly. Like, I would love for this not to be true, but how are we going to know if it's not? And if it is true, then what does that mean for the people that work on his show? Because it's a great show that has been really groundbreaking in a lot of ways. They've done... They've handled some topics that just aren't usually discussed on on sitcoms and it's just it's just really unfortunate all around this is also still very fresh like we just found out about this last night so yeah this is a very late breaking story yeah well we will keep on top of it and hopefully have some updates soon but let's get to the bigger clusterfuck that happened yesterday which involves James Gunn so James Gunn had been kind of going off on Twitter um, about the the right and the president and all of that. No surprise. Celebrities have opinions. Um, But all of a sudden yesterday, it came out that Disney had fired him from directing the third Guardians of the Galaxy, severed all ties, presumably because of old social media dispatches on Twitter that were unearthed where he was joking about pedophilia and rape. And so, presumably because of the Me Too movement, Disney felt the need to act and fired him. Um, Supposedly, now there's... So there's there's a lot... That's the the simplistic way of saying what happened. There is far more going on involving whether this was some sort of conspiracy to take him down because he'd been outspoken about the, the president. There's rumors that... Um, far right uh, I love how they're using the term provocateurs um, you know another word is shit disturber um, from from associated with Fox News had essentially brought these tweets to Disney's attention even though these are tweets from six years ago that Gunn had acknowledged um, and so there's a lot of back oh, and some forth some of them go back like ten years they yes, go all the way yes. back to the beginning these yeah. are not new yeah. tweets by any stretch of the imagination um, but long and short of it is, is that he's been fired. Um, there's been some people trying to positively spin this, saying this means that they could get a woman, they could get a person of color, they could really try something different. Um, there are other people saying that this sets a really bad precedent in terms of if you are a person who works for a corporation and you criticize, um, the president or, or the right that you could get fired. 
Um, so let's just break down the obvious. These tweets were stupid. They were in poor taste 10 years ago, but Disney knew about this. Okay, no, 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 Kristen. I'm sorry. No, this goes even more than that. These tweets are vile and They are vile. Yes, yes. They no, are. I'm there not, are, I'm there not, is no defending the tweets. Yeah, no, no I'm not defending making... that at all. I'm using no, the I know, simplistic language. Just, I know. I just, people need to understand. Like, this is stuff, because I first heard rumblings about this on Thursday, and... I saw a couple of the tweets and I was just like, oh, that's really in poor taste. I mean, it's like jokes about raping children. And I was just like, oh. And then I read, he wrote like a tweet thread where he's saying, you know, I used to say these really, really terrible things, but I've changed over the years and this isn't who I am anymore. And I thought, huh, well, I don't know why you didn't delete them, but that's okay. I mean, I don't remember some, a lot of stuff that I wrote 10 years ago, but whatever, that's fine. So then on Friday, I was in a movie, and I left the movie, and I turned my phone back on, and I see James Gunn's been fired, and I'm like, what the hell? Just for over a couple of tweets? And I open it up, and I'm like, oh, he deleted 10,000 of these. Okay, no, that's that's something different. And well, so, I, yeah. I have... I have to ask on that because the only source, where where is that coming from? Because the oh, only place I saw, I saw that is one I'm not inclined to believe without more sources. Oh, I've seen it in several places that have, have said, you, okay. said it's like over 10,000 tweets. Yeah. I'm looking for a specific place. Yeah. I don't think any of us are, are con- condoning what he's, he's tweeted. Um, for me, though, this is a guy who worked for Troma, you know, back in the day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Disney knew about his backstory. They knew about his history. They knew about all of this. These tweets were public knowledge up until he deleted 10,000 of them yesterday. And so for me, Disney getting all morally indignant over this and yet continuing to employ Johnny Depp, you know, how is it not playing into the conspiracy theory that this had something to do with Bob Iger, who was working with Trump back in the day, you know, on his campaign, how does that not seem like it's it's the corporation's personal bias reflecting on something? And and we should say both sides. Um, the person that was res- who who is touting responsibility for this firing, Mike Cernovich, has some really fucking disgusting tweets on his Twitter about rape, rape of women. Oh, yeah, he does. And so if we're talking about how making tweets about rape isn't cool motherfucker that goes both ways okay so i i just i don't condemn a gun i've always had problems with and i'm not convinced that he's a complete i mean i i'm pretty certain he's got some horrific skeletons in his closet but i have a real issue with disney getting all high and mighty and saying well we're gonna stop this train in its tracks but we already gave him two movies and these tweets were well aware. There's been allegations that he stole the script from the first Guardians from a female writer. Um, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna do something about this. You know, that's what I have a problem with. Well, I was reading more up on that stealing the script thing after we talked about it on Slack, and I mean, it it's not exactly that simple, but um, but yeah, there is I mean, still he never has been... given the consideration. Oh, absolutely. Know? But I think this is this this I, I think this is less about a conspiracy because he spoke out against the president. And I think this is more about what he did was so bad and people finally like were talking about it in mass and I feel like this is one of those situations where now Disney's like, Oh, now people know how bad this is. Okay, we'll do something about it. It's 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 another one of those once it's out in the open and everyone's upset about it 
then they'll take action, you know? And I think, th- I, I think the reason that they haven't done that with Johnny Depp is because there hasn't been a huge, massive public outcry. There are a lot of people who are mad, but they haven't kind of mobilized against him. And I think that that's, that's typically why some of these people have been allowed to, to slide. Um, so that's, yeah, I, I think it's more about the, the level of complaining and anger and social media response than about what's going on behind the scenes. That's me, but I generally don't believe conspiracy theories anyway, so. Kim, what do you think? I, I'm angry on all sides. I mean, I've been perfectly vocal and open about it on Slack. I like Gunn. I, I mean, his work has been out there. Like, like you just said, Tristan, he came out of the, he came out of trauma. I mean, it's, his stuff is hugely, hugely, hugely problematic. I'm not going to, and I'm in no way defending those tweets. I've watched some, I've watched his internet work from before he got the corporate gig. I mean, it's hugely problematic, but it was out there. They should have. Uh, Disney knew about all of this. Disney. There's no way Disney didn't know about those tweets. They know. I know they didn't know about his PG porn series, The Helpful Bus. There. He. He. And so it, I'm mad at him for tweeting this abhorrent stuff. I'm mad at Disney. I'm mad at you know the fact that this is all coming to root out of the alt right stuff. I just why do they all have to be assholes? You know why? Ugh, it's I. I've been watching all of these conversations kind of on all sides, and it's just frust- This one is frustrating for me. When- I think kind of I'm right where what Karen, what you had said about in the Anthony Anderson one, just kind of one of those ones where it was like, why did it, you know? Why did it have to? He's he's kind of one of those ones on the list where what on my list where it was like why you know e- at least you you know aren't coming out you know showing your asshole side. It's like god damn it. <laughs> one thing I do want to say too though about as far as him being fired and replaced is like you know last night I got into a little bit of a conversation with a couple people about uh, who should be the next director because I had tweeted you know I get Ty- get Taiko ITT. We know that he is great. We know that he can do humor really well. I would love to see the kind of thing that he could come up with working with characters that are Star-Lord and Drax and Gamora. You know, I think it would just be magical. And um, and so I had said, get Taika Waititi. And one guy was just like, you know, like later on, after I, like hours after I tweeted that. Um, one guy later on was like, you know, I keep people, I keep hearing people say, just, just let Taiko Waititi do it. And, but isn't this a great opportunity to have a woman director? And I'm like, okay, (laughs) no, (laughs) first of all, here's, here's what I say about this. So for me, it's not just let Taika do it. It's just please get Taika because we know he can turn it around. Guardians 2 was far, far less, you know, quality than the first one. Um, it was still a fun, watchable movie, but it was definitely not as awesome as the first movie was. Probably because it didn't have a woman writing the basic storyline, you know? Uh, or the entire script, whatever. Um, and then, so we already saw Taika turn around a franchise that was going downhill. And on top of that, in all of this mess, a lot of people are going to be pissed off going into Guardians 3, and they're going to be looking for blood. 
And mm-hmm. I don't want a woman being given an opportunity to direct a big Marvel movie, walking into this mess that's already tainted and already going to have people mad no matter how good it is, and then saying it sucks and it's her fault. I don't want to do that to, you know, to some new awesome director. Uh, I don't think that would be a problem with Taika because we already know that people love his work. So that's why I'm supporting him. Well, this this next film is going to be an uphill battle because he's been gone. I I know he's been writing the draft, and I've seen sources saying he's completed with the first draft. Mm-hmm. So they are either going to have to there's going to be issues with either his draft or they're going to have to draft up something completely new. Yeah. But we know that these Marvel movies script out as far as I think I've heard they've got a decade of films laid out. Well, yeah, I don't know how far out they've got stuff written because they don't have writers for everything. But so this this is going to be a hell of a challenging production now because they're going to have to uh, figure shit out and figure shit out quick. Yeah. Did we lose Kristen? No, I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I just wish I liked the Guardians of the Galaxy movies more <laughs> in general. So I don't I don't uh, have much of a, an opinion on. On who does the third, because I find both of them to be just meh, so. <laughs> oh, I see. I really liked the first one a lot. Um, I remember liking the first one a lot. I have not watched the first one since, and nor have I been inclined to, so I think that says a lot. And then two, I, I didn't care for. Um, well, I was not a big Marvel fan anyway. Not, so. exactly. So, so I'm, again, the worst person to talk about this. Um, so yeah, James Gunn kind of sucks, uh, but the world sucks. So pretty much they're match made in heaven. Um, So moving on to another person that sucks, but I think we've forgiven him. Uh, We haven't forgiven him, but other people have. Joss Whedon. (laughs) Uh, So apparently we are going to be rebooting Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, This was a bit of sigh from over here. Um, so there's a, a new version, um, this is courtesy coming from Deadline, if my computer would not stop freezing up every time I move something. Um, so, uh, presumably, Joss Whedon, um, is developing some type of, um, new take on the series, um, being run by, uh, Monica Wusu-Breen, who is the creator of Midnight Texas. She's gonna be... Uh, working as writer, executive producer, and showrunner of this new series with Whedon set to executive produce. Um, It's going to be pitched to both streaming and cable networks, and it's going to be a contemporary take, quote, building on the mythology of the original. Um, And supposedly they want to get a African-American female to play the new Buffy, but that might be in flux because they don't really have the script. Um, I'm of two minds of this. My my brother was obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and so I've watched um, portions of it. Uh, I was in no way a huge fan, um, but I appreciate it. And I actually took a class where we studied Buffy a lot in terms of um, like myth making and feminism and and all of that. So um, I'm definitely interested in the concept of like contemporary take on uh, you know that that show started with the movie in 92, which is just so of its era, and elements of the, the TV show have not aged very well, um, that I think it would be cool to get a different um, 
type of, of woman, whether it be different race, um, I, I would say LGBT, um, but I don't know if we're going to go that far. Um, but at the same time, like, do we really need this? The first one exists. I don't know, but, but we live in a world where now we're like, they're remaking Charmed, um, which actually looks really cute. So, um, I don't know. I, how do you guys feel about this? Well, I was a big fan of Buffy the first probably four seasons. And then after that, it kind of fell off for me. But um, I, this is, yeah, this is one of those things where, like, I'm not opposed to the idea, but I just wonder, like, what are some other original ideas we can we can talk about? You know, why are we remaking old stuff all the time, rebooting things that, you know, just because they were successful before, there's got to be other stories about awesome, sarcastic, smart young women that we can talk about. And uh, the other thing, too, that struck me is, okay, so they're looking for an African-American woman to play this. Um, maybe this is going to sound insensitive coming from a white girl, but I don't know. Like, why are they limiting themselves? Why can't it be an Asian character? Why can't it be a Hispanic character? Because I think the implication is that black women are the most marginalized in, in, um, entertainment, even though that's not necessarily true with with Asian, (laughs) uh, Hispanic women actually are taking a more, have, having written for Romesco on this subject, there are, I think more, there is more of an uptick for, um, Latinas. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, it's, it's ordinarily the, the, the concept that, yeah, black women, um, are just lower on the spectrum. Um, I but... mean, I don't have a problem with whatever, with whatever race they choose to go with. It just, like, to already say, this is what it's going to be. It feels very, like, they're limiting themselves in potential, so. Kim? I, I'm kind of right. I, I mean, first, my first line of thinking when I saw this is Joss Whedon's, time, you know, time out after his being outed as an asshole by his ex-wife is over. Uh, looking at that, and I mean, it's Comic-Con week, so news. Because he's got, it'll be interesting because I was just looking. I don't know how heavily involved he'll be. Because he is show running another series over on HBO, which just got picked up for a series order. Um, reading the story on this, it made me feel a bit uneasy because the first thing I thought of was Buffy season six and seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was like like Karen just said I was a fan of ser- seasons like one through four, and then it kind of went off the rails for me past that point. So um, maybe with you know, maybe they'll make something out of it. Like you said, I'm looking at, I've seen stuff from the Charmed reboot, I guess is the best word for that, or sequel or whatever the hell. And that looks, that looks really cute, but I've said it on this podcast. I've said it again. Why do we need to keep, you know, rebooting this known property? This, this particular project, I could, I can completely see some development exec somewhere going, oh, what will the Me Too crowd like? I know Buffy. Let's do Buffy again. And it's just it's trying for some original idea. There's plenty of writers out there who will do it. There's they're there. We just need to look for them. Exactly. So moving on to women that need to have better projects. Jennifer Conley 
is supposedly going to be in the sequel to Top Gun. This will perk Karen up. I don't think this is going to be a bad project. I just don't like her being the supportive wife all the time. Oh, so yeah. She can do more, damn it. Jennifer Conley is going to be in Top Gun 2 Maverick. That, I hate that title. I'm just saying. Um, it's directed by Joseph Kaczynski. Um, she's going to join Tom Cruise, as well as Val Kilmer and Miles Teller, who is going to be um, the son of uh, Goose, originally played by Anthony Edwards. Spoiler alert. Goose died in the first film. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we ever talked about the Miles Teller casting. No, because I don't like talking about Miles Teller. No. Well, and <laughs> Meg Ryan plus... Plus Anthony Edwards does not equal. They made Miles Teller, Teller. exactly. No, they made Glenn Powell. That's what I would have thought. Exactly. Um, So this is supposed to take place um, once Maverick is a Top Gun flight instructor and Teller is the pilot. It sounds like Creed in the air from the sounds of it. Um, But my problem is, is like, are we going to explain what happened to the chick from the original Top Gun that was... Tom Cruise's tongue-kissing lead lady? Like, what happened to her? Why couldn't we get her? Um, because Kelly McGillis doesn't really, I don't know, when's the last time she even did anything? I was gonna say, because Kelly McGillis is not bankable. We know how being a woman in this town goes. Right, right. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I was going to say, there's somebody rolling their eyes right now saying Kelly McGillis is obviously too old, too unattractive, too something. I'm just curious. I I am Googling. I am IMDBing what she's been doing, though. Kelly McGillis, I apologize. She had two projects last year. See? So she's waiting for their call. I'm looking for the last time she was in something I heard of, though. Uh, 2008, The L Word? The L Word, yeah. So, here's my thing, okay? This just reminds me of when they replaced Mae Whitman with Micah Monroe in the Independence Day sequel. I mean, if you want a hot girl, just say it. Like, don't give me this whole backhanded, oh, she was probably unavailable or she didn't want to do it. No, no, you guys never called her anyway, okay? Um, that being said, I do like Jennifer Conley. I, I love Jennifer Conley. I just, as, as you guys mentioned, I want her to do better movies. I know that playing this role got her an Oscar in the past, but it's been how many years since that Oscar? And I think, I think you can maybe branch just a little bit, Jen. Just a little bit. At least she's age-appropriate. That's true. <laughs> I, that's true. I mean, did Tom Cruise pass out when he saw that he was not going to get uh, a girl who was, you know, 25 um, to play play this role. Um, oh, stop. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to jump in, too, and say this is right on form for Hollywood. If you look at Kelly McGillis, she is 61, if I'm doing my math correctly. Jennifer Connelly is 48. Oh, <laughs> the point still stands. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, either way, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Karen. I think this is an unnecessary sequel. That, that profits from the nostalgia boom, but mm-hmm. uh, but that being said, the original film is just so can't be fun. Um, I, I showed it to my friend the other day who had never seen it, 
and I was like, it's the gayest straight movie in the world, and you need to go watch it. And it's <laughs> very true. Yeah, and my friend, who was gay, was like, oh my god, this is so gay. It's not, he's all, there's no pretense of straight. He's all, it's gay. Okay, flat out. Um, and then you really forget, like, all the people that just, like, populated that first film. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm gonna go, but... Well, the thing is, I mean, yes, it is an unnecessary sequel. Most sequels are. Um, mm-hmm. But this isn't something that just happened because of the nostalgia boom. Tony Scott was trying to get this made for years. And um, Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer both had been on board at different times over the years. Like, yeah, let's do this. But um, I think it kind of jumped into we need to get this done after Tony Scott died. That was when it was like, okay, yeah, we need to we need to honor him by doing something that he's always wanted to finish and never was able to. So, if we're gonna start remaking Tony Scott movies, just give me a Domino sequel and I'll be so happy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the Tony Scott movie I, I like. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let let's throw in a trailer, um, just to break things up a little bit before we finish out the. Uh, the the stuff so the news uh so boy erased had a trailer that came out this week um it's the joel edgerton directed uh he wrote it as well right uh yes i believe yes um story uh about a young boy played by lucas hedges who is sent to uh, a gay conversion camp um, at the behest of his parents played by nicole kibben and russell crowe um it's based on a book um, by Gerard Conley. So, I saw the trailer for this, and it probably didn't help that it came out after the trailer for The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which both of those plots feel very similar, it's just different genders. Um, I don't get Lucas Hedges. I, I mean, he's he's cute, but I don't get why we throw ourselves over him being, like, the next great white hope um for young actors um i mean somebody could roll their eyes right now and say i say i'm doing the same thing with timothy chalamet i understand um but having seen lucas hedges in pretty much everything he's made going all the way back to when he was what moonrise kingdom he never really gets an emotion from me um other than like oh yeah he's there and he's he's in this trailer he he looks he looks fine um he looks perfectly suited for it uh nicole kidman's got a crappy wig but what if he um, had timothy chalamet's hair oh uh, well no i don't think that would have helped with his his uh bone structure but you know um <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was i was actually talking with somebody because we were talking about oddly enough call me by your name and we were talking about the the concept of fathers and sons in these narratives and Watching the trailer for this just made me think, like, I'm kind of done with the whole unsympathetic father doesn't understand how to deal with his gay son story, Um, whereas mothers are just presented as being, like, sympathetic and understanding in a way that their their men aren't. Um, I think the trailer spoils all of that, too, because it it pops up at a certain point in the trailer. So I, I feel this might be formulaic. It might be cliche. Um, I do think it's going to overshadow Cameron Post, which is uh, directed by a woman, um, because this has way more marketing power. But I, so, so for me, it just looked like typical Oscar fare. You know, it didn't really do much for me. What did you guys think of it? Yawn. Um, <laughs> I, that was way meaner than mine. <laughs> I, I don't. 
I don't get I I've I I will say I liked Lucas Hedges and Ladybird. Beyond that, I just I'm not I'm not there yet. He's solid, but he's not there there's young actors out there I enjoy a hell of a lot more. Uh, Joel Edgerton, honestly, in this, after, maybe it's the post-Gringo reaction, but that turns me off. I mean, it looks like, I mean, I, I feel like I've seen this, and I feel like I've seen this be done better. This kind of reminds me of those movies where you go to, you go to see it, and you can see them practically ticking the Oscar boxes, but then they're not really doing it well. That this is, they have high, high, high hopes for this, but it, doesn't necessarily look like it's going to live up to it. Uh, it feels like the trailer gives away an awful lot. That felt like a very long trailer. Um, Russell Crowe and Nicole Kidman really didn't pull me in either. It's just, eh, I, this one's going to have to convince me. It's one, of those, it's one of those cases where I really hope that the trailer, or the film is much better than the trailer that we get. Um, as far as what you're saying, Kristen, I totally get your point with the, you know, the father who's really antagonistic and the mom who's very supportive, and I, I totally get that and I agree. I think that I would feel more strongly about, you know, against more of the same types of stories, but this is about, this is based on a memoir, so this is someone's true experience, and we do still see a lot of that happening. Uh, in the world and um, so I don't know so that gives me a little bit of hope uh, I do find it unfortunate that this and Cameron Post are hitting at the same time because I think that they both regardless of how the films turn out they're both important stories that I think need to get a lot of attention and I don't I want to see them both be good and celebrated and not have one overshadowing the other just because it has a bigger cast or, a, a, you know, a higher profile cast or, or whatever. Um, I do agree with what Chris, or with what Kim said, though, uh, about, I, I think I have a little bit of just, like, I, I, feel, I feel like I have a little bit of trauma from seeing Joel Edgerton and, and Gringo. Like, <laughs> I didn't even realize how much I despised him, but now every time he pops up in anything, I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> Like it's yeah. just like in yes. my gut. Like that movie really just messed with my head. It was terrible. It was so terrible that it's like I hate everyone involved. Totally was an experience for me too with Charlie's Theron, but but yeah, so I just I don't know. I, I'm not ready to write this one off. I do think it definitely has potential and I'm really curious to see how it turns out. I would love to see Lucas Hedges get something that really shows that that he's a good actor because I, I think that it's there. I just think that he hasn't gotten the opportunity to really show what he's, what he's done. I mean, he did get an Oscar nomination for Manchester by the sea, but that was, that itself was overshadowed. And a lot of people felt like he didn't deserve to be there because they felt like that movie was all about Casey Affleck. And I think that that's unfortunate because I think that he was doing some really amazing things in that role too. And so I'm really interested to see what this does for him. So, well, it comes out November second. Um, so we're going to transition. Speaking of teen actors, child actors, let's get to our question this week from at Pause It's Pow. If you could award a juvenile Oscar to a performance since two thousand, which actor or actress would you give it to? 
the first one that pops in my head is Quivenzene Wallace for Beasts of the Southern Wilds. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I know everybody's going to say Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name. That would be my my thing. But I'm actually going to say Jacob Tremblay for Room. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that movie just, just... made me so sad um and i think a lot of it has to do with his his performance um i i rail on child actors because i find them to be incredibly annoying in most movies but he really harkened back to like classic child stars for me like margaret o'brien he is the margaret o'brien actually i think of of this generation um so so yeah that would be um or i'm gonna say juvenile oscar completely for being game the entire movie, the little kid who's Georgie and it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> For yeah. like losing an arm, <laughs> yeah. bullet to the head. I mean, you know, that kid and still looking goddamn adorable while doing it. Um, so yeah, get that kid or in award like too. The entire cast of it. Yeah, that's that true. That's true. The entire cast. Especially um, Eddie. Also, Eddie for life. Eddie. Oh, yeah. 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 And I'll take also the unoriginal answer in Say Chalamet, because I just, I will still, one of the best moments of acting still for me is the last credit sequence from Hell him. Hell yes. To me, know. that was Sorry. such just incredible, stunning work to watch. And I truly regret that he didn't get more love for that performance, because I think he goddamn deserved it. I would also like to say, you know, FYC, even though I know this would never happen in a million billion years, but FYC, Derek McCabe from A Wrinkle in Time. Yes! Thank you! (laughs) Okay, I told everybody when I saw that movie, I I know that there are people on Twitter who consider him the worst performance of the year. But I think he was adorable and great. And if they if they changed up Pet Cemetery to make the character older, he would have been the perfect gauge. Just oh saying. yeah, he totally. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I know. Would have been great. Um. So yes, yes. Um. So let's let's move back. Uh, we'll come back to trailers. Um. In a second. Let's get the last bit of news out of the way. So, how do we all feel about cats? I'm not talking cats, the cuddly little like things that purr. I'm talking about the frightening human-cat hybrid hellscape (laughs) created by Andrew Lloyd Webber that collectively latched on to Broadway and has not let its claws go. Um, So apparently somebody felt we needed a Cats musical. And I thought it was April... I thought it was April Fool's yesterday. I literally thought this was a joke. So supposedly Jennifer Hudson, Taylor Swift, James Corden, and Ian McKellen are going to be making a big screen adaptation of Cats directed by Tom Hooper, who you might know is the guy who butchered Les Mis. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't like Les Mis, that version is just not good. Um, and it's being written by Lee Hall, who wrote Billy Elliot based on the musical from 1981 that Andrew Lloyd Webber based off of a T.S. Eliot book. Which he was reading while he was on acid. Exactly. So all of that sounds better than fucking Cats, okay? Um, I'd also take a movie about when Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote the score for the sequel to Phantom of the Opera and then his cat deleted it. Like, that shit? That would make a good movie. This is just shit. Um, so yeah, that's gonna happen. Um, so, if you're wondering, Kristen, 
why do you hate music? Um, because I've complained about this and I complained about Fernando, which we're going to talk about when we talk about <laughs> Mamma Mia 2. Um, I hate cats. Um, not cats, the animal. Cats, this shitty Cat piece of trash. C. Okay, yes. Cats with a capital C for words I'm not going to use. Okay. Um, so my brother, again, my brother who liked Buffy the Vampire Slayer, loved cats, was obsessed with cats. He, you know how they used to sell the VHS on TV? Well, my brother bought that VHS, okay, of the, the performance on Broadway. And we watched it every fucking day for two years okay when we went to mexico on vacation they were doing dinner theater do you know what they were doing fucking cats so i had to watch people perform this in front of me while i was on vacation so i vowed at the age of 10 that if i never ever in my life had to listen to fucking memory i would be so happy so you want proof that the world is like the the apocalypse is nigh? This Tom Hooper, my version of hell is Tom <laughs> Hooper directing cats. <laughs> Anybody else have thoughts on this? Because oh my god, going off on that, I truly hope he decides to not start what he did with Les Mis and make them all go live. Because my version of hell will be ta- Taylor Swift trying to sing live. So many like neck and head veins in that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> about about Les Mis that I just can't get into is and I've seen Broadway shows so I get the concept of singing live but what he did in that movie I'm pretty sure was torture because everybody looks not not tortured because it's the time period and like everybody's got consumption in that play but everybody looks like they've just been singing for 25 hours and so their faces are just a big veiny red mess um so yeah don't don't do that and no more dutch angles tom nobody wants that either i i saw hugh jackman do the boy from oz what that that jean beljean performance in les miserables that does not show the joy that is the glory that is hugh jackman on stage that that whole movie just and as someone who put my parents through our own their form of hell making them watch backyard versions of Les Miserables I love that musical I was probably to the annoying part as your brother was with cats I don't want to see Tom Hooper touch touch cats no 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 the, nothing about this sounds good so Karen what about you I just find it very hilarious the way Kristen keeps saying fucking cats and they're fucking cats and I am looking forward to constantly having to correct her that we do not condone the rape of felines. I know. That and feline AIDS is the number one killer of domestic cats, so... (laughs) Just saying. Um, So yeah, but I think to go away from cats... um, my problem is is like we have the opportunity to adapt broadway shows now why do we always go back to the plays that are like 30 years older even on tv like jesus christ superstar cat so phantom of the, of the opera are based on our movies that we already have so <sighs> but my problem is is that like when they adapt broadway it seems like they're trying really hard to get plays that like your nana who lives in boca is is gonna know and it's gonna go out and see. Well, like, there there's no wrong with making movies for old people. There are people. There's too. nothing wrong with that. But I just would love to avoid like the heavy hitters after a while. Like, there are so many great Broadway plays 
that I would love to see adapted. Like, I still dream of them doing Spring Awakening as a movie. They were supposed to. I think You know, I... I would love them to do, like, some weird-ass Sondheim, like, Assassins or something. Like, that would be really cool to see. I don't need the umpteenth version of... Okay, so I'm gonna piss on Spielberg, so everybody cover your ears. Fucking West Side Story, okay? No, yeah, that needs to not happen either. I, I don't care who's making it. I don't care if Jesus himself came down from on high to say, we need to remake West Side Story. No, we don't. Just, just stop. <laughs> stop. Um, so, yeah, I'm cats cats it's gonna film later this year i'm not happy so (laughs) i've never actually seen it so i have no idea what to expect just watch the opening song and memory oh i know all literally see everything you need to see i totally know all the songs i've just never seen it so i've seen people dressed in the costumes on different I things, have seen... that's always a joke, like, when someone's an actor in New York, like, oh, I just got cast in Cats, and then you end up seeing them in costume or something, but... Somebody told me once that, like, the joy of going... Because I've never seen Cats on the stage. Um, somebody told me that the fun of going to see Cats was the fact that the actors come out and, like, lay on you and touch you. No, I, that's... That shit's horrifying. That sounds like a nightmare right there. Why would I want some human-cat hybrid touching me during a... No, no. (sighs) I have have seen Elaine Page do memory far, far enough. That's that's all I've seen in that show, and that's all I really need to see. I don't... Just leave it alone. Every... Give me the give me Hamilton. Yes. I, like I've said it before and I've said it again. Give me Hamilton with the original cast. There Thank are you. there are what three songs that every theater nerd knows to perform. It's like Memory, Memory, and On My Own from Les Mis, and mm-hmm. um, like one of the Phantom of the Opera songs. They're all Andrew Lloyd Webber. Ugh, fucking so, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Nobody, uh, and we don't, we don't, just to throw that out there, we do not, okay? <laughs> so moving on. Um, so let's get to the rest of the trailers really quick. We'll knock them out. Um, the trailer for Overlord came out. Not Overboard, Overlord, in case anybody says I mispronounced that. So this is a movie that is, I, I had heard, associated with the Cloverfield franchise, um, and it's about zombie Nazis. <laughs> this is a real movie that exists. Um, it's directed by Julius Avery Rip with a screenplay by Billy Ray. Um, and it's about soldiers behind enemy lines on D-Day, um, who come up against Nazi zombies. And it's got Wyatt Russell, Bakeem Woodbine, um, a bunch of, uh, Giovanna Depo from, um, Fences. So... Um, I don't know how this is associated with the Cloverfield franchise, but I have been told this is a Cloverfield movie. That is not indicated in the trailer, um, but I was into this. I'm, I'm a really, like, like, Dead Snow is a really great horror movie. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. And so I'm all for, like, revisionist history with not, with zombies. Um, especially Nazi zombies. So, like, we were gonna kill them because they were Nazis, but now we're definitely gonna fucking kill them because they're zombies. I think I just heard about this on Twitter yesterday. I think somebody was mentioning it. And I still, and I, when I was watching the trailer this morning, I I saw the the logo in there. I'm like, okay, this is gonna be interesting. And then it dives into straight-looking war film. I'm going, oh, this is gonna be cheap. And it's, 
I, I'm oddly intrigued, but just looking at everything about this, I'm right now I'm thinking it's pro just for some, I have something in me that's just expecting this to be horrible and just be a blip. I mean, like you said, maybe it would be the good, the good, bad movie. The, you know, what I'm desperately hoping the Meg is going to be in a few weeks. The movie that knows exactly what it is and it plays into that. Um, but I completely, this completely missed my radar, but I'm curious to track it and see what happens. Karen? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, according to an article in Den of Geek, Cloverfield 4 is not Overlord. There is going to be a Cloverfield another Cloverfield movie um, but it's not Overlord so we'll see but um, I am all in for this I think it looks fun and silly and ridiculous and I agree with you Kristen whenever you introduce zombies into a historical revisionist fiction story like that has potential to be really fun and and you know even though we see similar things happening like it's still a little bit unique and depending on how they do it and so i i yeah i i'm into this i'm excited i'm in i'm in yeah i i, re- I like pride and prejudice and zombies mm-hmm. so this that pretty much says a lot so so yeah um I, I mean i don't know it would not surprise me if there's some sort of weird ass cloverfield connection at the end of this even though jj abrams says it we all know that he's a liar. Uh, so, so yeah. And, and and I think the thing about these movies, too, is that something like this that sailed under the radar for so long and then comes out with a trailer, I, I'd like to think that much like the marketing for other stuff like, like 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, which was called Valencia up until the bitter end, um, I, I don't know. I'm... I'm JJ gets me with his puzzle box bullshit. Um, well, and he so does, he's so good at like he'll be developing stuff that we have no idea that it's even in existence until suddenly there's a trailer for it. Like that's exactly what happened with the very first Cloverfield film. Like yeah. we didn't even know he was making a movie, and then all of a sudden, boom! Trailer drops and it's coming out in six weeks. Like what? And, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, there was something else that was supposed to be in the Cloverfield universe, but it turned out it wasn't. And I'm trying to remember what that was. Yeah, there was uh, something it was else. Something that came. I think it's something that came out this year. It was and... well, yeah. It was something that that people were saying it was Cloverfield Paradox, and then this movie. But then there were there people that were saying else. Overlord was the par- was the Cloverfield movie. So yeah, well, I but, don't remember what it was. I don't, I don't remember either. But anyway, so I mean. There are, there are probably, within Bad Robot, his production company, there are probably different films in development that are that are a little bit out there, a little bit unique and weird. Um, and they, you know, probably along the way decide if they want to tie it into the Cloverfield universe or not. So, Well, this is your Halloween movie for the year. It comes out October 26th. So, yeah. Um, so moving on. Do we want to end on a happy trailer note or a sad trailer note? You're running the show. Okay, so I'd like to end with a happy trailer. So, By the way, so, I think that our versions of that look very different. <laughs> yes, that's true. So so Karen and I um, are on opposite ends of the spectrum on, on one other movie, but we're going to talk about Glass really briefly. The trailer for this came out yesterday. Uh, this is the sequel to Split in the same universe as Unbreakable, directed and written by M. Night Shyamalan. 
um, about a doctor played by Sarah Paulson trying to tell the three men associated with those movies, so um, Samuel L. Jackson's Mr. Glass, um, whatever the dude's name was, <laughs> uh, played by uh, James McAvoy in Split. Kevin, Patricia, Dennis, Hedwig, Barry, the Beast. All those people, <laughs> yes. Um, and David Dunn, played by Bruce Willis, who was the main character in Unbreakable. Um, so, I watched the trailer for this. It looks like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. It, it looks interesting. Um, I have issues with this movie, not as a movie. So when somebody sends me a tweet about how I'm not excited for this trailer, I have nothing to, to say bad about the trailer. I have issues with how people respond to me from this fucking trailer. So I've talked about it to you guys, but Unbreakable when it came out, I, I didn't watch up until two years ago. Because when it came out, everybody asked me, oh, you have the Unbreakable disease because Mr. Glass, the Samuel L. character, and I have the same disability. And so for like as long as the movie was relevant, people were like, oh, you have that disease. You should totally watch Unbreakable because, you know, you'll understand it. And I was like, mm, no, I'm good. Um, I did watch it two years ago. It's an M. Night movie. It's, it's entertaining. It didn't grossly offend me. Um, it was about what I expected. So, so when this trailer came out, it was like, God, no starting all over again everybody's gonna be oh have you seen glass you understand like no i'm not a fucking superhero thank you um well technically so, he's the villain which uh, is more fitting yeah me. that's true um even then i'm not a villain at least i don't <laughs> think unless you're one of the dudes i've blocked on twitter and then maybe Villains i am never think they're the villain though oh that's true that's true so um i mean the trailer looked fine um i'm gonna go see it i did like split um so you know this didn't this didn't uh, necessarily turn me off, didn't pull me in, but it's M. Night, so I usually just kind of go in with really low expectations and then I'm pleasantly surprised when it's not horrific or the visit. So, what did you guys think of this? I was very excited about it, I'm gonna say. I really like M. Night Shyamalan. I don't know, I don't think that all of his movies should be Oscar contenders. I've, I've never said that when I say they're good, but I think they're really most of them are at least very fun entertainment and uh, he does definitely have a few misses on his filmography that are just ugh, un unwatchable but uh, but overall I really like uh, I really like his stuff and I loved Unbreakable and I remember when it first came out and there was all this you know there were there was a story I read that supposedly that was going to be the first film in a trilogy and I was super excited, and then the second film never materialized. And so I just kind of figured, oh, this is one of those things that just kind of fell by the wayside and, and whatever. So when I saw Split last year, I went in not expecting that to turn into what it was, but I was going through it like, yeah, I'm really liking this. And then when you get to the end and find out, oh, this is the secret backdoor Unbreakable sequel, I was so excited. And when he announced the that he was doing another movie um like he didn't even wait very long to confirm that there was that glass was coming i was i was really excited about it because i think that these are are really fun i do feel like this is very classic Shyamalan and that's why i like them so much because when he's doing the stuff that that really made him popular that's that's when he's the best and that's when his movies are are really really intriguing and interesting and and different from a lot of other stuff that's out there. Kim? 
I haven't actually caught the trailer yet. Um, I just, I probably, I think I saw the word of it coming out last night on our Slack, but I completely dropped the ball on watching that one. I historically am very meh when it comes to Shyamalan, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, much like uh, Split, this is going to be a January release, so it's going to come out January 18th, and we'll probably do very well, so... There's that. So let's talk, uh, the end, we'll end the trailer section with the movie that I'm excited about, but Karen, aka Negative Nancy over there, uh, is not on the same, same train of, uh, thought as I am. So On the Basis of Sex finally released its trailer, uh, last, uh, during the week. This is the film directed by Mimi Letter about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her attempt to become, uh, a, a lawyer um, on her way to eventually becoming a Supreme Court Justice. Uh, it stars Felicity Jones as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Army Hammer, Justin Theroux, everybody I love. Um, and the trailer for it came out. So, I think we all agree this is not a great trailer. <laughs> we definitely agree on that. We definitely agree I, on that. We'll chime in there as well, yes. Um, I have a real problem with trailers lately having very on-the-nose musical cues. We talked about it with the trailer for Welcome to Marwin. Um, we've talked about it a couple times. Um, you know, great example. The Overlord trailer used Hell's Bells. That worked. You know, that was that was not on-the-nose, um, but it worked. It set the tone. This has a song where the lyrics are very pointed. It's performed by a female. It sounded like any typical Alessia Cara sounding tween singer on the radio today whose name you don't remember. Um, and it just didn't fit with the time period of the movie. It just seemed like, you know, we gotta get the, the kids in to go see this. So we need something that, that they'll know of. Um, it just, it didn't work for me. It really ruined everything. That being said, the images and everything else sold me. So if they had just nixed the song, I think I would have been okay. What did you guys think of, of how the trailer was cut? Because we all agreed it was not a well-made trailer. I, the first thing I noticed, too, was the song. I'm, I was doing a quick Google to see if I could figure it out. And it just, it didn't feel period for me. I'm not half convinced that it isn't period for at least some point in there. Because it looks like the film, just judging by the costuming, it looks like the film spans a good 10 years. Because um, you can definitely tell we're in the early, the late 50s, the early 60s for some of it. And then I can, it looks like we're going late 60s. So it could have been period for some of it. But starting there with that shot, and then the shot that I've seen done better in ev even something like Agent Carter, the very unoriginal shot of her walking through the crowd. It just, like, I kind of echo the same thing I said with the Boy Erase trailer. It, from this trailer, it looks like they're trying to just check the Oscar boxes. You know, check the Ruth Bader Ginsburg wave of nostalgia that's kind of hitting, kind of in our current political climate. I'm ridiculously excited for this movie as well. I mean, it's... I have I think I said at the same time you did in terms of, you know, Army Hammer in there. I do have issues with the Justin Thoreau porn stash. Oh, no! We're going to talk about the porn stash in a second! Good, good, because... That needs to be discussed. <laughs> but it's... Weak, weak trailer. It's... I was really excited for this, and that trailer did not pull me in. 
Damn it. Now that, <laughs> now that Kim brought up Agent Carter, now I'm just really going to be bummed that it's not Haley Atwell playing Ruth Bader Ginsburg because she has Haley Atwell's too tall and personality and she's fun and interesting and Felicity Haley Jones Atwell is Atwell should be in so, everything. Yes, and Felicity Jones is so boring. I'm sorry. But she is boring, and the idea it, of her playing Ruth Bader Ginsburg just does not work for me. In my defense, I do think Felicity Jones, yes, is not perfect casting. For me, my Ruth Bader Ginsburg was who started this project, which was Natalie Portman. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, Natalie Portman was attached to this for a long time and then dropped out. So I think that would I, be better than Felicity Jones, but I'm still not, I'm not sure about that one either. Um, so yeah, I, 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 this is my number one movie of the year. I'm excited for it. Um, I, I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She is my hero, RBG forever. Um, and as I've told everybody, I really don't care. Uh, I, I mean, I care about, you know, her fight to, to become a lawyer. It was very difficult for her to even get a seat at the table. But for me, I am all for showing people what a supportive husband looks like, the trope, quote unquote, because... The relationship between Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Martin Ginsburg is like relationship goals for me. I love everything about that story, and I'm really hoping they don't fuck it up. And you'll notice I said nothing negative about who plays Marty Ginsburg. Army Hammer is going to be the best Martin Ginsburg. Okay, I mean, like, seriously. Like, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was told him, her husband, like, I want to go to Sweden or Switzerland, I forget what it was, to study the law, but we have kids. And he was like, you go to Switzerland, baby. I'll watch the kids. I'll cook dinner. And she fucking went to Switzerland. It was amazing. Like, that's what I want. I want a supportive husband who, as Lauren would say, is like, you go kick that ass. I'll hold your purse. You know, that's what I want. Um, so, yeah, I think I think Army Hammer looks adorable. Um, and I'm hoping he, he does the role justice. I'm hoping he doesn't overshadow Felicity Jones, who, who we've all said we're a little skeptical about um but yeah back to justin throwing the porn stash <laughs> so so that needs its own whole heading and topic he's playing the head of the aclu in this movie because ruth bader ginsburg worked a lot with them um to, to find specific cases to combat sex discrimination my mother if she was here right now would pop her head and say that next to josh berlin playing a doctor justin throw playing the head of the aclu is the most unbelievable thing she's ever heard um <laughs> <laughs> but I I was I was on board. He's rocking a vest. It's great. Why is he in a vest? I don't know, but it's amazing. Um and the porn stash. So yeah, it's a little 1970s. It's not quite 19 whatever period they're in. That's not 70s. It's a little porn stashy. Um I think this is just his continued bid though to star in a remake of The Thin Man because he's perfect for it. Um so yeah, if we if we all like can have thoughts on Army Hammer and his beard and sorry to bother you, I I'm just thinking I need Justin Thoreau to play like if they ever do the seventies porn scene again, which they're never gonna do because I think Lovelace ruined it for everybody. Uh, but if they ever did a movie about the seventies porn scene, oh my god, would he be perfect? <laughs> he would have to star in that. If that <laughs> There's no, there's no other. Did anybody that else interpret he that? Have to do that, that way differently than I did. <laughs> Just I gonna let you have your moment. I might have interpreted that sentence 
far differently than Kim interpreted it. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Continue, Kim, with well, your amazing it's, thoughts. It's, I was just sitting here in silence thinking to myself, if they ever did, like, a John Holmes something. <laughs> I'm like, he had that stringy, gross, I've been nude on camera look that you've seen in... <laughs> Okay. That conjures 1970s porn. I'm like, Not to disparage the John Holmes movie we did make, which had Val Kilmer in it, which is a great, great movie. If you've not seen it, go watch Wonderland. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, no, if, if, if we ever did a top five, top five, like, movies Justin Theroux could convincingly play a porn star in, yeah, I think that would work. You can hear Kristen blushing over, over audio. I'm like sweating and laughing at the same time. It's amazing. Okay, so Ruth Bader Ginsburg's movie comes out Christmas Day, The Birth of Our Lord. Um, I'm sorry. Army Hammer. <laughs> Army Hammer. Uh, well, that just makes you think of the porn movie biopic that could be made starring Justin Throw and Army Hammer. Ooh, ooh. I mean, the porn name is in Army Hammer's name. I mean, just like, come on. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> So we're going to move on to reviews before this completely goes off the rails. Um, Let's so talk gonna... about Eve's green. <laughs> uh, exactly, exactly. Oh. So I'm going to save my blind spotting talk till next time because that's what actually goes wide. Um, so yeah, I'm going to I'm going to save that. So eighth grade, um, Kim and I and Karen, you saw it, right? I did not. I haven't okay. seen either of these. So. Okay. So so Kim and I saw eighth grade. Um, Kim, what did what did you think about it? <laughs> I went into this. This was one of those ones I was really looking forward to liking, really looking forward to having kind of, you know, the glowing response that I kept hearing everybody else having. Um, ultimately, as I sat down and it started going, I just found myself thinking more and more about Lady Bird and how much of a better film it was and how much more I liked it. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, it, very real. I will say that movie was incredibly real, almost uncomfortably so. And maybe it was part of the, maybe that was what it was supposed to do. I found it very hard to en enjoy it because for me, eighth grade was hell. I hate, I hated middle school. It was probably the worst time and maybe it conjured it so well that I just had trouble enjoying it. There was lots of laughing in my theater. I mean, it was, I, it comes from what a comedian, so it's, and it seems like it's being marketed as a comedy, and the audience I was with definitely took it as such. But everything that they were kind of, that seemed like it was supposed to hit as a comedy line, it just, it wasn't working for me. I mean, the lead performance, and I do apologize, I'm completely spacing her name. The lead actress? Yeah, the lead actress. Elsie uh, Fisher. Elsie Fisher. She was absolutely stunning. I truly loved that performance, loved everything about it. And then I was, dad pulled me into what Josh Hamilton. I thought probably the only scene that I really got into it, I found myself truly pulled into it, was her scene with him towards the end of the movie, which I was just sobbing, crying mess. But... From, I mean, the filmmaking for me was a little, the camera was really close for me the whole time. Kind of started thinking about Mother, 
the audio I wasn't crazy about the audio and the use of music I found it was a bit overpowering um, the scene there is a uncomfortable and I found I just was really questioning the need for it with a older boy in the back of a car and just nothing about for this for me hit quite right I can't say it was bad it was a horrible experience but it didn't work for me um yeah I so I saw this um as part of a three screening week back to back to back so I had been telling everybody if I hadn't seen blind spotting the day before, which just took all my emotions, I might have felt differently about this. Um, I have no memories really of, of eighth grade. I, I think you know seventh through freshman year kind of blend together for me. Um, but I generally remember middle school being um, being really good. I didn't. I remember not wanting to leave middle school. I did not want to go to high school. Um, and, and my high school experience, I had a bad sophomore year, um, you know, subpar freshman year, junior year was fine, senior year was, was good. So I went with a friend who, who did not have a good middle school and high school experience. And she was like, she felt emotionally triggered by all of this. And I was, I was left really removed. I don't know if it was the fact that, you know, middle school's just so far from my, my reality now um or or what but i was just um i thought this was pleasant you know it's it's definitely awkward um and cringy at times you know you really and i think a lot of that has to do with elsie fisher who is fantastic um you know she captures the vulnerability and the awkwardness and the the concept of like wanting to be cool and chasing it but not really knowing what that means i like that it looked at female sexuality at that time and you know her not um wanting to know what certain things are but the the concept of teen boys and tween boys now being so pornified um you know kind of kind of removes that adolescence i think the saddest thing about eighth grade as a movie is the sad reality of children not getting a childhood anymore because of the cell phones you know she she buys a card game for a girl birthday party and the girl just sees it as something a baby would would play with um and so and yeah and a part of me did feel like you know an old coot being like damn kids and their damn phones put the phone down at the dinner table type of thing um but ultimately i think it just feels very slight you know it's it's a lot of it feels very much like vignettes you know like shorts kind of strung together because there's no real overarching conflict the conflict is all internal and that's really hard to convey and keep an audience engaged you know um when it's just kind of going through a week in a life where nothing really happens i wrote in my review i was like so are we saying that eighth grade isn't particularly interesting because i wasn't interested in this um yeah you're, you're right josh hamilton is really great um he, he played the hippie dad in away we go which i just watched again the other day and, and he's really good um I love how we're getting supportive dads. I, yes, I really like that. I completely agree. Um, I like that. Um, especially one who's, you know, not so consumed with, like, his, you know, is my daughter going to do drugs? Is my daughter going to have sex? Yes, he, he crosses some boundaries every now and then, but he just finds his daughter to be really awesome, you know, which I, I really appreciated. It wasn't some otherworldly thing. It was the fact that, like, he wants to be a part of his kid's life and see this kid develop. Um, and he finds that well, development process to be very interesting. 
I I found him, and it, I think that's what made me feel. I I felt really old. Yeah, are we just old too? coots that like don't understand? <laughs> well, I was I, from his first scene. I was kind of sitting there. I'm going, oh, Dad's kind of hot. And I'm like, oh, he's really fun, and he's really likable. And I'm like, oh, I really screw these. And I'm going, man, was I that? And there's parts where I'm like, was I anno- that annoying, that much of an asshole when I was that age? I'm like, oh, Dad's so likable. I want to hear more about his story. <laughs> But yeah, I do think, I think Lady Bird might have ruined a lot of the interest I might have had in this, just because I felt I connected. Lady Bird definitely ruined it for me. Yeah, I connected to Lady Bird. I have more, more vivid memories of the high school experience than I Mm -hmm. do the eighth grade experience. Uh, But it is nice to see, you know, with the fact that we, we see older actresses playing these characters it was really great to see you know a 13 year old girl playing a 13 year old girl and just realizing like how I I mean I looked at this more as a concept of how to look at film in general and how we sexualize young actresses um but but overall I don't think I'm gonna remember much about this movie come next week I would agree um, one movie that I will never be able to get out of my head, though, is Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again, which you and I also saw. Karen, do you have any interest in seeing Mamma Mia 2? I do. I just haven't seen it yet. I didn't have time this week. So, it's been ten years since the events of the first Mamma Mia. Um, I think the movie is set five years ahead. Um, that's what I had read somewhere. Um, is that what it's... They didn't make that There's no indication, yeah, that that's what happens, um, and they probably should have because yeah. time and math don't work in this movie. They are non-existent. Um, but it tells the story of Sophie, played by Amanda Seyfried, trying to open the hotel that her mother started on the Greek island of Calicori. Um, She's going to reopen it in the wake of Meryl Streep's death. Um, the, the character of Donna has died uh, a year before the movie starts. And they're reopening this hotel. And as they're planning this big reopening, it flashes back to 1979 to when Donna went to the island in the first place and met the three guys, who one of whom ended up fathering her daughter. Um, I say time doesn't work very well in this movie because Amanda Seyfried's character, in theory, if this is set in 70... If she was born in 79 and this is set five years in the future... Of the events of the movie from ten years ago, how old is oh, she supposed to be? Of that. Yeah, she's supposed <laughs> to be like in her forties. Um, <laughs> no way, uh, man. This no, she 40. would be in her thirties. <laughs> okay, so I'm bad at math. So again, so but still, Amanda Seyfried, I think it just just looks like she hasn't aged that significantly. Um, the problem. No way, she's thirty nine. The problems get bigger though when you think of the fact that Cher is in this movie playing Donna's mother. Cher is only three years older than Meryl Streep so unless we're believing that that Cher is an immortal let being that has just populated this earth for years um which is is fine I mean I mean yeah that's true um (laughs) she she looks like an immortal being that's true Cher is the best great doctor (laughs) Cher is the best part of this movie and she comes in over an hour and a half into the movie yeah so, um, if you're going for share, I recommend going in an hour and a half late. Because that's when she shows up. Um, I did, I, you know, we call this a pre-sequel. Um, this, this really needed to pick what it wanted to be. A sequel or a prequel. Um, the prequel stuff I thought was fine. Although we completely, completely ignored what was set down in the original film. 
So the original film, having just rewatched it before I saw this, you know, Donna is says in the diary she took the boys to the island. We find out that's not necessarily the case. Um, in the first movie, we find out that, that the character played by Jeremy Irvine and Pierce Brosnan tells her that he's got he has to leave her to go get married. But in this movie, she finds out by accident that he has a fiance. Um, so I hate when movies do that because I'm like, now you have no excuse not to know the plot of the first film at this point. Um, so, so that was my big issue, but mostly the movie just has no reason to exist. And I know we talk about that as, yeah, no sequels really need to exist, but this movie makes no bones about the fact that it did not need to exist and that nobody really wanted to make it. Um, because... I mean, Lily James and the young cast is great. Um, I, I, you know, I loved, I thought she was really, really sweet. The, the girls that play um, her friends, particularly Jessica Keenan Wynn, who plays the Christine Bransky character Young, really great. Um, I would have loved a Donna and the Dynamos movie, like how they came together. That's a great story that, that could have made sense. Um, but when you're getting to the cast of actors from the first film, none of whom are really developed, short of just popping up, it's very evident that they w didn't want to be there and that the script tried very hard to make their filming as little days as possible. Um, so there's no real interaction between the cast, I felt. Um, Amanda Seyfried and Dominic Cooper spend half the movie apart because they hated each other. Um, and Dominic Cooper, if you look in scenes where he's not on camera, you can see him in the background just looking bored as shit. Um, so, so that was my thing, is that the main cast just didn't want to be there, and it it permeates the entire film. Um, and I fucking hate the song Fernando. I hate it, so I did not <laughs> want to hear it. Um, and most of the songs, what I noticed very quickly is that for Americans specifically, if you watch the first film, you're like, oh, we got every ABBA song. Um, and if you're American watching this, you're like, God, ABBA only had like six hits, and we used them all in the first film. So all the songs that are here are like B-sides, deep cuts, shit that got released in in chile i think one of the songs was like only for south america um and they all sound the same they all sounded the same to me um so i did not like this movie i thought it was so stupid um kim what did you think because i think you have a totally different thought on this than i did well i liked it a lot better than you did okay um i will <laughs> i'm okay with that that's, that's why we are very diverse ladies this is, I mean, an ABBA's a nostalgia, a definite nostalgia thing for me. I've been, my father specifically was a huge fan, so I've been watching the music videos since I was young. No, I didn't have that problem kind of with any of these songs. It was, all right, except there was, I think there was two, if I speak truthfully, that there, I was like, huh, I've never heard that one before, and have to Google it, but... I went with my mother. There was there was crying. There was there was tears in places. It had it it worked from that nostalgia side. I mean, I was definitely though kind of on your same page. They didn't gel. This didn't need to be. I didn't need the diverging the two timelines. The whole that whole portion with the you know Donna's death and having to that didn't gel for me at all. Uh, Amanda Seyfried looked checked out. Pierce Brosnan, to me, this is these have never been his best performances. And the fact that they had him butcher SOS, you know, it's it's like, come, why do we keep letting him sing? Uh, why do we let Dominic and, Cooper sing? I see. I will. 
admit I have his song on my iTunes. So that one, I will freely admit that I will have that. I do have that one. The fact that Colin Firth and I make, is it, St- I keep, I always mix up my scars. Stellan. Is it Stellan? Mm-hmm. The fact that they are in less than half of the movie. Uh, nothing with that gelled they did i'm with you i don't think they they didn't look like they wanted to be there it didn't propel it through comparing that with the younger the, the younger cast who are so much fun so likable so they're they're performing for the rafters i just i liked each and every one of them i think i specifically called out jessica keenan Wynn and was it jeremy irvine who yeah played young young colin firth oh uh no it's hugh skinner who plays young hugh Conquer. skinner so I'm, yeah see i'm mixing up i my, did my, i my did baby, also like the cast members I, I did like the the guy they got to play young stellan skarsgård even though i kept saying there's like 12 skarsgård kids and they couldn't there... find one <laughs> Well, the problem is that there's Skarsgårds and then there's Sarsgårds. They're not the same family. <laughs> it gets very it's Peter, confusing. It's Peter. Sarsgard. Peter Sarsgård is totally Sorry, different. Than, yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, it's Peter Sarsgård and then Stellan Skarsgård. Yes. There's a K in, in the one. Yeah. And, like, Bill is a Skarsgård. Yes. And then there's... Right, well, he's one of the kids. Yeah. yeah. So that, like I'm Alex, just saying, yeah. There's Alex, like, Bill. Yeah, there's like 12 of them, okay? We could have used one. <laughs> right. And it, 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 I thought I had a legitimately fun time. I was, I was kind of annoyed, actually. Our entire audience completely missed the two Abbott cameos that were in there. I didn't, uh-huh. I, I noticed one. There was the Bjorn who was there, who was the guitar player and one of the, he was one of the teachers in When I Kissed the Teacher. Oh, okay. She, she's the teacher that he's hanging all over and, or that she's, cause she what puts like, there's, they play with him and then Benny is the Bjorn pl- Yeah, the, the piano, piano player. player I the figured bar. when the camera was just on his face for no reason. <laughs> See, as as an ABBA person, you know, I have this nostalgia for it. Um, what threw me stylistically, the difference in the two numbers, bet- or the two, like, and I, I'm forgetting what song they used. It was so unmemorable. The breakup, and I, if I'm spoiling it, I'm sorry, people. I think it's made sense. I think it's made clear in the trailer when the Sky character and the Sophie character kind of initially call it quits. They're they're trying so hard to make it into like a music video and they're 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 making this intensely edited, heavy handed music video structure. And the problem is is that one of them can sing and one of them can't. (laughs) You know And then with the Lily James stuff it's you know, they completely they just kind of let them go and she was such a pleasant James was such a pleasant surprise for me she has not been that great for me in her last few I mean she's perfectly good and perfectly serviceable in everything she does but to me she's had trouble standing out in her some of the cast she's been in so I was kind of worried that she was going to fade and not be you know I'd be sitting there going you're no Meryl Streep but she was so good you know they were just this should have been a Don on the Dynamos this should have been a completely this should have been a prequel hmm. this didn't need any of the the modern stuff I find myself wondering how different it would have turned out if they had not handed the sequel from a woman to a man Mm-hmm. very true okay so Let's, uh, that's going to close out uh, this edition of Citizen Dame. What does everybody have on tap for this week? 
Mission, Mission Impossible? Impossible. Supposedly Mission Impossible. Well, one way or the other, I'm seeing Mission Impossible this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Mission Impossible, Probably Fallout. Probably once. We will be talking about that next time. Um, I'm sure I'll be talking about blind spotting as well. Um, Me too. Lauren will be back. Um, so we can talk about all sorts of stuff. Hopefully film Twitter hasn't burned down by then. Um, so as always, you can uh, reach out to us uh, a variety of ways. You can listen to the podcast at citizendame.podbean.com or on Spotify. Uh, if you are listening on iTunes, think about leaving us a rating or review because that would be really great. I think we are up to eight five-star reviews right now. Um, no comments, hey. but... No recent comments. We no have a few comments. comments. Yeah. No recent Yes. Um, no recent uh, written reviews, but we are at eight five-star ratings. So we'd like to get to ten. That would be awesome. Um, you can also send us email at citizendamepod at gmail.com. Um, you can also visit us on our official Twitter at citizendamepod. Send us your comments. Send us your questions. Um, you can also visit our regular website, citizendamepod.com where we uh, do a bunch of written stuff. Um, we have not... I think we're talking about Tom Cruise movies this uh, Citizen Dame 5 this week, correct? In honor of Fallout? Yes, ma'am. Yes, so our Citizen Dame 5, um, you can uh, read uh, our favorite Tom Cruise movies. Uh, Lauren is uh, covering Fantasia Fest, so she's posted up some reviews. We also have our regular show notes, so if there's a link to an article that we've talked about um, or a review that you want to read from one of us. The show notes will be up there so you can read those. And Kim also has her Feminist Friday um, this week. She or Last week she looked at Rebel Without a Cause. Um, and I am working on my six-week, possibly seven-week uh, Brolin with the Homies um, series. I hope to have the next one up shortly hopefully it's good i'm not that confident it will be though um and if you want to go the extra mile of supporting citizen dame you can check out our patreon which is at citizen uh, patreon.com slash citizen dame you uh for just starting at just a dollar you can get access to bonus content like our um boyfriend draft for march madness our thoughts on the star wars franchise and solo our karen and i's audio commentary on sicario we're going to be doing an episode on Jeff Goldblum <laughs> because Karen and Lauren um, get him and I don't. Uh, we're just $4 away from doing a whole bonus episode with special guests um, talking about Guy Ritchie's The Man from UNCLE. So if you like our thoughts about Army Hammer, um, yeah, you should definitely check that out. Um, I really feel like now I need to add another Justin Theroux-themed bonus thing because people seem <laughs> people seem to gravitate towards that um and we also the porn, stash does, the porn stash does it and we're also i need to get on i think lauren um to start our next wave of what i did for love reviews um so that'll be um coming up soon so yeah a lot of stuff happening so definitely check it out and support you can also visit our individual twitters um so we'll we'll outro everything with uh, our twitter handles i'm kristen lopez you can find me at journeys underscore film with Karen Peterson, who is where on Twitter? I am at Karen M. Peterson. Lauren Humphreys Brooks, who again is not here, but we miss her. She is at LH Business. And Kim Pierce, where are you? At, at KPierce624. So we'll see you all next week. Bye. They were close enough for Nando. Every hour, every minute seemed to last eternally. I was so afraid, Fernando. We 
were young and full of life And none of us prepared to die And I'm not ashamed to say The roar of guns and cannons Almost made me cry 